Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Nature is a dangerous place. On Monsters Inside Me, the podcast... Listen to the life or death experiences of people who have survived animal attacks, natural disasters, and deadly parasites alike. Featuring audio from Discovery Channel, Science Channel, and Animal Planet, from hit shows like This Came Out of Me, Nature's Deadliest, Still Alive, and I Was Prey. Listen to Monsters Inside Me wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast contains dramatizations of actual events. Certain situations, dialogue, names, and locations may have been changed. Some scenes are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Pauline DeVore was used to living the good life until her estranged daughter moves back home. She had a deep-seated resentment towards Pauline, and she wanted to do everything she could to hurt her. Soon... Violent fantasies will become deadly realities. She took her home, she took her car, she took her man. I win. This goes way beyond just simple incest. The normal rules of a family here have been completely thrown out the window. There's more than one person in this family being played. And it will all end badly in an evil chess game of money, drugs, sex and betrayal. She's, I don't know, we have to do something with my mom. What do you want to do? I want to kill her. Washington County is a sparsely populated rural community located in Northwest Arkansas. In Washington County, there in the uh, country, there's uh, always space between neighbors. And I think uh, most of the folks like it that way. Here, people work hard and hold their families close. Everyone gets their hands dirty, and everyone comes to the table at supper time. But some families are better off keeping their distance. County number one, what's the problem? Looking around. Are they there now? No. Was your doors locked, or did they break in a window, or...? I'm not sure how they got here. On June 15th, uh, 2007, Bob DeVore contacted the Washington County Sheriff's Office and reported that its home had been burglarized. But this yeah. break-in isn't the usual petty larceny. What all's missing? All the guns and all the target books and the bank bags. And my wife. 
Bob's wife is 70-year-old Pauline DeVore, and she's nowhere to be found. We responded, officers responded to the DeVore residence. When we arrived, Bob DeVore was there at the house. And Bob DeVore has quite a story to tell. I just got back from a, from a trip. He stated that he had been out on the road for three days um, driving a truck, and that when he returned, he found that uh, there were some gunshots in the kitchen and the living room, and it appeared that someone had abducted his wife. I don't know where she is. She's gone. You want to go through the rest of the house? Here? As Bob right. DeVore right. walks investigators through his house, they note several strange details. The recliner was missing from the living room area. Somebody had been ravaging through the house, but there was no sign of any forced entry. There was no physical signs of any altercation that had occurred outside on the patio area. No blood, no scuff marks, no nothing. In any missing person situation, police want to speak with the next of kin. But Pauline's daughter, Dolores, seems to have vanished as well. Where is she? I, I don't know where she is. Dolores was not at the residence. The only person at the residence was Bob. Bob actually told uh, Detective Rexford that he, he didn't know if uh, Dolores was in the state, out of the state, or she could be in Mexico for all he knew. Pauline and her daughter could be anywhere, but this is no ordinary missing persons case. And the truth about these two mysterious disappearances lies deep in the past. Pauline DeVore always knew how to live the country good life. I first met Polly when we moved back here. She and her husband was friends with my dad and mom. We'd go out to their house and they'd fix dinner. And my boys used to go down the, to Polly's place and fish and play in the creek. The creek ran right through their property. Pauline and her first husband made good money off Pauline's large land holdings, and they provided well for their children. Polly had four children, and uh, she had three boys and one girl. The youngest one was Dolores. Though she was successful at business, Pauline wasn't as good at marriage. I think probably one of the primary reasons that they didn't get along was the fact that uh, Pauline DeVore was known for not putting up with any type of nonsense or not doing exactly what she said when she said it. She and her husband split. He took the boys to Texas, and Pauline stayed in Arkansas with her only daughter, Dolores. Dolores? Mothers and daughters will fight. But Pauline and Dolores were an especially bad match. Shut up. I wish I hate you. At an early age, um, Pauline and Dolores uh, were starting to not get along as Dolores started to become a teenager, and Pauline made the decision to send her down to Texas to live with her biological father and her brothers. It was a decision Dolores would never forget. Dolores Egert, I really do believe, felt abandoned by her mother at an early age. Dolores was hit with this devastating blow at the very worst time in her life. She was abandoned, maternally abandoned, in her early teens. This was a critical time in her life when she needed a mother to guide her. Once in Texas, 
teenage Dolores sought out something else that would make her feel the love and acceptance she never got from her mother, Pauline. When she got into her later teenage years, she started to experiment with some pills and some marijuana and some other drugs. It didn't take long for Dolores to become a full-fledged party girl. Dolores was pretty rowdy and wild, really. You hear a lot of things, and uh, she just was wild. And over the next two decades, Dolores' drug use continued to get worse. She had really started to heavily get into using more narcotics, and the wheels were kind of starting to come off the bus, and the family approached her and thought that it was in her best interest if she moved back with her mother in Arkansas to Washington County. But moving home would be the worst thing that would ever happen to this family. In the decades that mother and daughter had been apart, Pauline had met and married her fourth husband, Bob DeVore. He had drove uh, trucks over the road. He met Pauline by doing some work on some of uh, Pauline's rental property. Pauline still makes money managing her 700 acres in Washington County. Pauline was involved in the uh, rental business. She kept track of the money. She took care of all the day-to-day -day needs. Pauline was known to actually go and collect the rent herself from her renters. Everyone recognized Pauline's pickup truck. Polly was the only one that drove her pickup. She didn't loan it to anybody. That was her pickup. And when you saw her pickup, you knew that it was her driving it. And she approaches business like she did motherhood with a hard nose. Pauline DeVore was a very stout woman, very strong-minded, very protective of her property. Pauline was, she was a redneck cowgirl, and she had a heart as big as the world, but she ruled the roost with an iron fist. Pauline didn't take a lot of guff off of nobody. And I wouldn't want her on the bad side of me. And when 38-year-old Dolores returns home, to live with her now 60-year-old mother, Pauline discovers she can't manage her daughter like she can her tenants. When Dolores first came back, she actually lived in one of the apartments that belonged to Pauline. And then after working for Pauline for some time, um, Pauline let her move into a trailer that was located on their property across the street from their main residence. But old resentments die hard. Dolores Eagert, I really do believe, felt abandoned by her mother at an early age. It would not take that large of an abnormality in the household to make that volatile relationship between mother and daughter and turn it into something that's hateful and potentially tragic. It won't be long before Dolores will get back at her mother. I just heard they were sneaking around seeing each other. I was really upset about it because it wasn't right. And sometimes, hate conquers love. You are nothing but a control freak. With her out of the way, she would not have to live under the shadow of her mother anymore. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like, are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover? And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. As a teenager, Dolores Eggert was kicked out of her mother's house in Arkansas for her bad behavior. When uh, Dolores went to Texas, she started to experiment with some pills and some marijuana and some other drugs. Now the 38-year-old has returned to live with her 60-year-old mother. And even after two decades apart, it won't be long before mother and daughter once again come to blows. With no money and no job, Dolores is now completely reliant on the very woman she's resented all her life. 
Dolores basically at this point felt like a loser. She couldn't make it on her own. So she had to actually come back crawling uh, back to her mother. Pauline DeVore and Dolores Eggert definitely did not get along all the time. I'd have to classify it a love-hate type relationship. And just like when Dolores was a teenager, mother and daughter continued to fight. It's just that her daughter wanted to do what she wanted to do, and she didn't care who liked it, that she was just kindly that type of person. Wasn't nobody going to tell her what to do. I hate you, Mom. I wish you were dead. And I suppose that's what the trouble was. It isn't long before Dolores turns back to drugs, but this time, her drug of choice is the most popular and destructive drug available in this part of Arkansas. Crystal meth is a particularly mean speed. It causes delusional thinking, paranoia, hallucinations. Plus, like all speed, it comes over time with a solid dose of psychosis. The more Dolores smoked, the more she fixated on her own disappointments and how much she hated her dominant mother. And drugs soon helped Dolores make a new friend, a woman named Monica Bautista. Through the lifestyle that uh, Dolores was choosing to live, um, she met a girl named Monica. Monica was from Mexico, and the two of them became fast friends, and she brought Monica into actually working with her mother. The two women enjoy smoking meth together, but Dolores isn't the only member of her family suffering from addiction. Polly went out to the casinos probably a couple of times a week and would eat lunch and then gamble a little bit. There were a number of times that she had won uh, multiple thousands of dollars, 20 to 40 to 50 thousand dollars, but at the same time there were times where Pauline had lost five to 10 to 15 to 20 thousand dollars, and over a period of time those losses began to uh, mount up. It seems that like daughter, like mother. Addiction is hereditary whether it's a physical addiction like dope or a compulsion like gambling, it runs in the gene pool. Pauline's addiction doesn't go unnoticed by her husband, Bob. Bob DeVore did not like the fact that Pauline was using the money that was coming in to support them as a family to go gambling. He was unable to keep an eye on Pauline and have an indication and an idea of how much time she was spending at the casino. Bob continues to worry about the money but in the meantime, he's become quite taken with his new stepdaughter. They kind of started up a relationship. Bob would actually take Dolores out on the truck with him when he was going out for two or three days at a time over the road. Bob and Dolores continue to enjoy each other's company, and the two spend more and more time together. The relationship between Bob and Dolores grew when they were actually taking the trips on the road, those were more romantic trips in nature than they were platonic. I just heard they were sneaking around seeing each other. When Bob came in off the truck sometime, Dolores would be out there cutting their hay, and instead of going to the house, he'd go out to the field first and see Dolores, and then go to the house. And soon, Bob and Dolores become much more than stepfather and stepdaughter. Dolores always referred to Bob as daddy. Daddy. 
Whenever Bob DeVore would uh, take Dolores out on the road, um, every time that they would have sexual relations, Bob would give her money anywhere from $100 to $200. That extra money from Daddy goes straight to funding Dolores's crystal meth habit. And there's something in it for Bob as well. At this point, Dolores was just starved for attention. And Bob, of course, was all too happy to give it. This was a younger woman, 20 years younger, giving him affection. I was really upset about it because it wasn't right. Dolores has been sleeping with her stepfather for nearly two years. But her crystal meth addiction demands more money than Bob's allowance can afford. So her only option is to get money from her mother any way she can. Dolores Egert had actually stolen Pauline's credit cards and was using them and was also having Monica attempt to use them to get cash from them. Pauline DeVore became aware that her credit cards were stolen and she had a reason to believe that uh, Dolores was using them. She filed a police report on June 11, 2007 with the West Salem Springs Police Department. And with that, Dolores's long-standing hatred for her mother reaches the tipping point. Dolores hated her mother because of the emotional rejection she felt in her life. Bob's reasons were more pragmatic. She had a gambling problem, and he was afraid she was going to gamble away his retirement money. Look, I don't want to hear more about it. I'll see you later. And Dolores gets an idea that might solve all their problems. I just, I just want her out of my life. I think with Dolores, the idea of killing Pauline started out almost like a joke. Dolores's brain is not clicking on all cylinders. Uh, at this point, she could only see one way out of her problem, and that was murder. It would be, it would be better for everyone. It appeared as if Dolores just wanted Pauline out of her life, wanted to get on with everything, wanted to get her out of the way. She wanted to take Pauline's place in that family and, and have her life that way. And as weeks go by and the weather gets warmer, the joke becomes all too serious. Dolores wanted to take over her mom's life out of revenge. She was gonna get back at that woman for the way she had deprived her of the emotional support she needed when she needed it. So she wanted to hurt her mother in the worst possible way she could think of. Dolores had had enough, and she was gonna get whatever she wanted, whether it meant uh, sleeping with the father or murdering Pauline. While Dolores fixates on her mother, Pauline, Bob planned some upcoming trips out of town. Bob specifically told Dolores that he was planning on being gone uh, through three certain dates in June. We believe at that time, him planning those dates of that trip, that that was done so that he would have an alibi. But killing Pauline will require more than one person. And that's when Dolores turns to her best friend. We need to do something about my mom. What do you want to do? I'm going to kill her. Dolores and went to Monica, who had been her confidant and her friend, and they had run around together and done drugs together. And she approached her, and, and she asked her to help her, and Monica agreed. Dolores and Monica got together and smoked methamphetamine and then went about their plan. 
Methamphetamine would give Dolores the bravado, uh, the strength and courage to commit this type of uh, murder. And with false courage surging in their system, Dolores and Monica set about killing Pauline. Dolores went to a remote area on the property where they had a dump site. Dolores went down and laid down at this dump site and pretended that uh, she was injured and then sent Monica up to the house to get Pauline under the ruse that she was injured and needed assistance. Though they've had their problems, Pauline's maternal instinct takes over and she races to the field. Monica went to get Pauline, brought her to the, uh, to the site telling her that, um, that Dolores needed help. The plan was for uh, Dolores to pop up and shoot Pauline when she arrived. Didn't quite work that way. Dolores popped up, aimed the gun, pulled the trigger, and it didn't shoot. Click, nothing happened. The plan seems about to derail, but Dolores hasn't come this far to stop now. So Monica and Dolores then beat Pauline with a board and a crowbar, knocked her out. Dolores was on a high, in control, and at this point not feeling any empathy or guilt. Dolores then told Monica, you stay here and watch her. I'm going to go back up to the house and get a gun that works. It's a rural area. Even if someone heard a gunshot, I don't think that anyone would find it unusual. She went to the house, got another gun, came back, shot her three times, killing her. Finally, it is over, and now the two have a body to dispose of. We're gonna burn her. The murder occurred near a large debris pile of trash, and they placed the body on that pile of trash, placed some furniture on top of the body, and poured gasoline over everything and lit it on fire. As her mother's body burns, Dolores makes her next move. After they killed Pauline and started the fire, they then went up to the residence and went through the residence looking for money and uh, took some cash out of the truck and um, some money uh, out of the house as well. Dolores and Monica then drive to a nearby casino where they meet up with Bob and the two women decide to spend the night and celebrate. Bob then leaves to finish his trucking trip and solidify his alibi. The ladies return to the scene of the crime. Once Dolores and Monica uh, returned from their trip to the casino and got back to the property, uh, they went down to the site to where they had set Pauline's body on fire, and they dug through the ashes to remove any um, her jewelry, um, any big pieces that had not been destroyed, and they took that and uh, drove it uh, to a bridge and threw it into the river along with Monica's shoes. Dolores, Monica, and Bob are convinced they've pulled off the perfect crime. But the biggest mistake this evil new family would ever make was trusting each other. On the evening of June 15th, Bob returns to Arkansas to find one very nervous Dolores Eggert. 
Bob or Dolores decide that it's best that Dolores leaves. So Bob gave Dolores approximately $600 and the keys to Pauline's Cadillac, tells her to leave town. She then left and met with Monica Bautista, where the two of them basically said goodbye, and she reaffirmed and told Monica, you know, under no circumstances do you change your story. Just, I'm gonna go down here to Mississippi and work, and I'll be back, and everything will be okay. As Dolores speeds off, Bob gets his own plan underway. Bob comes in, messes up the house, takes the guns, puts them in a truck, uh, fires off a couple of rounds to the window, into the wall, does something with the recliner. We have no idea what happened with the recliner. He went to the phone and called 911 to report a burglary. Money and guns missing and his wife missing. When detectives arrive and question Bob about Pauline's disappearance, they don't find much evidence. Bob DeVore would be one of them persons that would try to sell an Eskimo in the refrigerator in the middle of the winter. He was all the time wheeling and dealing in some type of venture. And there's a theory Bob's trying to sell. Well, my theory is that, that somebody followed her from the casino. He was trying to sell us. Someone from the casino must have followed her home and abducted her here. That didn't fit with me due to my own personal knowledge dealing with Pauline DeBoer over the years. Pauline's daughter, where? I, I don't know where she is. But Bob has nothing to say about Dolores's suspicious absence. With little evidence and no body, all police can do is categorize it as a missing person under suspicious circumstance and hope something turns up. Thinking the heat is dying down, Dolores returns from Mississippi and promptly moves into her mother's home with her daddy. Dolores had moved back into the residence and she had taken possession of her mother's property and was driving her truck, collecting her money for the rent, spending her money, um, effectively taking her place. Polly didn't loan her truck to anybody. When people all over town saw that Dolores was driving Polly's truck, that was a dead giveaway because they knew she wasn't coming back. Dolores has taken over every aspect of her mother's life, from the car she drives to the man she sleeps with. Dolores wants to take from her mother everything she possibly can. She took her home, she took her car, she took her man, and she took her life. For Dolores and Bob, living as husband and wife so soon after Pauline's murder, really turns this family dynamics uh, on its head. This is so far from the norm uh, for a stepfather to be living and having sex with his stepdaughter. The normal rules of a family here have been completely thrown out the window. Moving into Pauline's house and sleeping with Pauline's husband, that was like a victory lap for Dolores. I win. With no evidence, the case almost totally disappears until one day when everything changes. 
In April of 2009, this case was essentially at a dead end after all the false leads. Law enforcement had not been a whole lot closer to where they were right after the disappearance of Pauline DeVore. Monica Batista had some felony charges in a neighboring county. We found out that uh, Monica Bautista was working at a local restaurant in Salem Springs and that she was working under a false name and a false social security number. And that that constituted forgery and fraud. You're looking at five years, minimum. I'm gonna have to arrest you. Stand up, please. Come on, let's go. Monica is arrested, but she refuses to go quietly. Her lawyer approached the Benton County prosecutor and the Washington County prosecutor and said she has information about the disappearance of Pauline DeVore. And Monica demands one thing in exchange for her testimony. First, I'm going to need full immunity. Monica was willing to, to tell everything that happened, was telling, willing to tell the authorities uh, who was involved, what happened, precisely what went on. But in exchange for that, she was wanting immunity. It's not an advantageous situation, but at that point, if we didn't do that, this murder never would have been solved. Investigators agree to grant Monica immunity. And that same day, Monica tells investigators about how she and Dolores hatched their plan. She says, I don't know, we have to do something with my mom. What do you want to do? I want to kill her. Monica then details the horrific murder. So she came back and bring like a revolver and she shot three times. And then I, I think she's, she was dead. No. Monica made her statement, but in order for us to use that statement, we had to have something to corroborate it. So based on that statement, uh, the Washington County Sheriff's Office decided to put a wire on Monica and have her meet up with Dolores. That happened on the evening of April 13th, 2009. They met somewhere near Salem Springs. They met in a parking lot. Where are you? I don't know. Where are you? Where are you? Can I'm afraid you're wired. That's, that's how scared I am. They still have nothing on us. We haven't done nothing. Monica presses Dolores to talk about the murder. And finally, she gives detectives what they need. There's nothing. There's nothing there to find. I'm just crazy. I'm freaking out. Well, I asked but Daddy. What? Because if, I was They really found the ring. They really found that something. There what? was no ring. Remember? I took you back. There was no ring. I took to her. She. When I left. There's nothing. You have to believe me. If they had anything, they would have arrested me already. And with that, police now have probable cause. Whenever Dolores told Monica, you need to remember that there was no jewelry, there was no ring. I took the ring off my mother's finger and threw it in the river. That was the point that we knew that we had enough information to get our search warrant. With the help of the local university's archaeological department, the police dig up the dump portion of the divorce property. The dig reveals bone and teeth fragments. The teeth and the bone fragments were sent to the Arkansas State Crime Lab where forensic examiners were able to match them to Pauline DeVore using her dental records. 
Dolores gets word that law enforcement is inches away from solving the case. And she knows her world is about to collapse. So she decides to take the easy way out. While I was on scene and while people were actively searching for Pauline's remains, a phone call was received in Oklahoma that was then transferred to deputies in Arkansas that Dolores Eggert was in the DeVore home overdosing on pills. Dolores makes a cry for help to a friend. But if she succeeds in her suicide attempt, the murder of her mother Pauline may never be solved. So detectives swing into action. So we all drove up to the residence and located Dolores Eggert in bed with a large amount of pills next to her and she was in and out of consciousness. Wake up, we gotta get you to the hospital, Dolores. Come on, here you go, put your arm around me. We got her up, kept her alert, contacted emergency personnel to respond, and she was transported to the Silent Springs Hospital. As Dolores clings to life, her stepfather and lover doesn't seem too concerned. I told Bob DeVore that she had overdosed on narcotics, and Bob told me, well, if she wants to take her own life, then I guess that's what she can do. Dolores is close to death, and if she doesn't pull through, it could derail the entire investigation. We didn't have any additional evidence, so we couldn't do anything at that point. While she was at the hospital, she recovered from the overdose. Uh, they were able to um, pump her stomach. Her life has been saved, but Dolores still isn't talking. Dolores never would really talk about the part where she was attempting to take her own life. She just said that she had taken some pills and that she was fine and that everybody was overreacting. She spent several days in the hospital recovering, but after, uh, after she was well enough to be released, she was placed under arrest for capital murder and taken to the Washington County Jail. And I'm going to read your rights, give you the opportunity to give your side. I mean, I but Dolores denies you. any involvement in Pauline's death. All I want is the truth, just the truth. That's it. With Dolores under arrest, Detectives turn their eyes to Bob DeVore. However, he claims he was out of state at the time of death and has the documents from his trucking trip to prove it. We were confident that Bob was involved, but it, what made it frustrating is we didn't have any additional evidence, so we couldn't do anything at that point. Even though we've made the, the arrest of uh, Dolores and we'd recovered the remains of Pauline DeVore, we didn't have enough information to make an arrest on Bob DeVore at that time. Despite his seemingly cold demeanor at Dolores' arrest, Bob comes to visit her in jail once a week, and the two speak on the phone every day. Bob even sends his stepdaughter greeting cards. I cannot believe the Valentine's card I got today from you. <laughs> you have turned in half. I could not believe it. Everybody got a crack of it. And now on the back, it had that the zebra, and it said, guilty as charged. After all, that's just what lovers do. All right, Daddy, I love you. Good thoughts. Love you, too. Okay, bye-bye. This is an extreme deviancy. This goes way beyond just simple incest. They have absolutely no regard for what they just did. I think it's sick. 
I mean, personally, as an investigator, I, I think it just goes to show how cold and calculating Bob DeVore actually was and Dolores Egert, and that they had no remorse whatsoever for the death of Pauline DeVore. After a year of jail and court hearings, Dolores agrees to plead to the crime and take the stand against Bob for a reduced sentence. She was not 100% cooperative. Uh, by this time, she said that she was sick of the whole thing and just wanted to go to prison and get this done and over with. She was re-interviewed by the Washington County Sheriff's Office, by Detective Stephen Halsey. And at that point, she gave a full confession to what she had done. She, uh, she admitted to, to killing her mother. She admitted to being involved with Bob. She more or less came clean on everything. Dolores and investigators walked through the day of the murder as best she can remember. I'm not a killer. It's okay. I mean, I am, but I'm not. So did you shoot her? No. We've been up all night. We've been drunk all night. We've been awake like that whole week. Monica's statement is you shot her twice in the back and once in the head. Despite all the smoke and mirrors in the investigation thus far, Dolores finally tells police her story about Bob's involvement. He told me he would be leaving out on the truck and he would be gone three or five days. And he told, and I told, he asked me if Monica was trustworthy. And I told him, yeah, I felt I could trust her. If she, if she was involved, why was she telling herself? And he said, leave no witnesses. Dolores' statement isn't enough to arrest Bob for murder, but it helps police prove he covered it up. In the summer of 2010, we were able to arrest Bob DeVore for tampering with physical evidence and hindering apprehension. I interviewed Bob DeVore for almost six hours, and during that interview, I found it very odd and weird that he always referred to himself in the third person. Bob DeVore does not believe and it just kind of went to show how twisted he was and what a eerie self of sense of assurance that he had about himself. Bob distanced himself all along uh, this whole scheme. He was very calculated. He made sure he was out of town so he would have an alibi, and he insisted that the women do all the dirty work. Bob pleads not guilty, but he's convicted of the charges and sentenced and the case is finally closed. I feel like I'm still upset that Polly had died like she did for no reason. And I just feel really bad because this happened to her. A woman who kills her own mother and then takes up with her stepfather, that's something that's, that's it's supposed to happen in movies. It's not supposed to happen here. It's not supposed to happen in real life. Drug addiction combined with grudges and greed made for a lethal combination. But many still wonder just who was pulling the strings in this strange sort of family. During one of the interviews with Dolores, you know, that that's when I knew that she really, truly hated her mother was when she told me that the only reason that she had had the sexual relationship with Bob was because she knew that if her mom found out, it would really be the one thing that would hurt her the most. 
Everyone in this family was extremely dysfunctional. They wanted what they wanted. They thought only of themselves. And they were going to get what they wanted with any means. Bob and Dolores were working as a team. But which one was doing the dirty work for the other? The jury's still out on that one. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Nickelodeon was kid everything, but that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set, an ID true crime event, Sunday, March 17th at 9, on ID and stream on Max.